an Ironic Media production. Visit us at I-R-O-N-I-C-K media.com. All right, welcome back to the Stark Transformation Show. I'm your host, Amy Stark. If this podcast has been broadcasting healing vibes into your life, please follow on Apple and Spotify and leave a review. Your review helps other people find this podcast and the transformations continue. And don't forget to share this podcast with anyone you think will benefit. Let's heal together. I believe organ meats can save the world. And here's why. When we don't feel good in our body, we don't treat other people well. We treat people how we feel. That's kind of the human way. So if I can get you feeling better in your body, which usually it's a nutrient deficiency, it's usually around your minerals and vitamins. There's other things, of course, there's gut health, there's so many things, how much sleep you're getting, but the chemistry in your body is huge. Like it really does affect your emotional levels, Mm -hmm. how you're feeling, how you're reacting. And so if I can support that, then I get you feeling better in your body and then I get you treating other people better. And now we have a whole different world. Welcome to the Stark Transformation Show. I'm your host, Amy Stark. In this show, I'll be sharing messages of hope, healing, and transformation. I'll teach you how to shift your mindset, conquer your fears, and become the best version of you. You'll hear incredible stories of transformation and about the extraordinary journey I've been on for well over a decade. My connection with energy is so strong, and I can't wait to share it with you. Let's get started. All right, today on the podcast, I have James Barry, and I'm very excited to introduce you to him. He has been a celebrity chef for people like Tom Cruise, George Clooney, Barbara Streisand, and Sean Puffy Combs. I think he goes by something else even now. (laughs) He invented something that is so niche, but so needed. And I was definitely interested in talking to him on the podcast when I met him in person. He, first of all, seems like a great guy just talking to him. I love his energy. I know two other celebrity chefs at least, and they all have similar energy, which is very interesting. And you would think the icon Gordon Ramsay, you know, like the intense angry man is what is a celebrity chef? No, that is not what I have witnessed. Usually they're very easygoing, likable, friendly people. So that's what James is. And I really enjoyed him. He invented pluck. And so you hold your horses here. (laughs) It's organ meat, but it's a spice. So like I was, okay, I have to be honest. So I have the MTHFR gene. I know I'm supposed to be having organ meats and I can't, I can hardly touch chicken and beef and things like that. Like I'll eat it. I know it's good for me and I, whatever, but I don't like touching it. So like the idea of actually having organs in my refrigerator and then having to prepare them, I just, that was like, I'll just take the supplements. So when I found this, I was like, this is awesome. And actually we started talking and he said that dogs love pluck, the pure pluck. So I was like, oh my gosh, this could totally be time-saving for us because we still baby our three rescues with giving them a little bit of chicken on top of their kibble. And sometimes we run out of chicken and then they get pissed at us. (laughs) 
So this is a great substitute or actually now we're doing both bouncing back and forth between using the seasoning and chicken. So anyway, James, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. I'm really excited to talk to you about your journey. And you started going to culinary school in your early 30s, but then built this huge career and really were always interested in how health and food go together and how you can become healthy from the food that you eat, which is definitely a message I sent to everyone because it's important. So James, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me, Amy. It's super pleasure. We'll just say your stuff is 100% organic, grass-fed beef. You can't say it's probably organic, right? You have to go get that certification. Yeah, yeah. The spices and herbs are certified organic. The organ meat blend is 100% grass-fed coming from New Zealand. Got it. We can't say it's certified organic, but it's non-GMO. It's as clean as you're going to get. Basically. Yeah. From, it's from New Zealand, which is also beautiful. Yeah. I know that they have very good quality. It's, it's, it's really the same sourcing. Most supplement companies that have encapsulated organ meats are getting it from the same source as I am. We, we You really are limited to about, two, well, three options, but two that are really established. And that's New Zealand is considered the top. Then there's Argentina. And then there's the U.S., but the U.S. it's so limited and yeah. it's questionable what you can get and the quality. So New Zealand is kind of like the premier location. Yeah, I would say that's probably the best as well from what I've heard. So what were you doing even before this, before your 30s? What made you decide to go into becoming a chef? Something I always loved as a kid, like I was introduced to scrambling an egg at like the age of seven or something like that. And I loved it. I mean, it was just something whenever I could, I was cooking. And it's funny, I'm seeing this in my own daughters. I have a six and 10 year old right now. And the six year old particularly, they both are really keen to cook. But the six year old is like always on me. My my wife jokes like there's something on your shoulder always kind of like the monkey on your shoulder, the monkey mm -hmm. on your back kind of thing. And that's how my six year old is like she's <laughs> If I'm in the kitchen, she's like right there, right on Aww. me. Yeah, it's super cute and sometimes hard because sometimes as a parent, you're wanting to just get the dinner done. Right, you know what I mean? right. So totally. I have to go slower and even more carefully because there's a six-year-old right there that could catch on fire or get cut or something like that. So, right. I'm like, so sometimes it, it's definitely a blessing, but then sometimes I won't lie. It's, sometimes it's challenging. But in general, I'm just super grateful that both my girls are being taught how to cook in a kitchen and that they're finding a love for cooking. Since that's one thing I talk to people a lot about is like, just because we have to eat doesn't mean we need to love cooking. And I think a lot of people get that confused sometimes. And I know I'm jumping into a whole new topic when you ask me <laughs> that's more okay. about my background. But I just think it's fascinating because I hear this a lot. Like people say, how do I shift my mindset so that I love cooking more so that I'll cook at home more often. And I'm like, well, why do you think you you're supposed to love cooking? And I really think it's because we eat and that there's this kind of societal almost pressure that we need to love it. And I'm like, you know what, there are some people that love it. And there are some that don't we have to remember for some food is an experience. And for others, it's a fuel. Yeah, you know? for me, it's and, more, and, mostly a fuel, it gets in the way. Yeah, <laughs> that's how and, I feel. And, and, I mean, and, I know it's I, helpful. Yeah. But the key with that is that you don't need to put pressure on yourself. Like you don't right. need to feel bad because you see it as fuel. And I think that's really something people need to clue in on is like, don't beat yourself up because of how you feel around cooking or your food experience. You don't have to be a foodie just because it's a big part of culture. Now, when I was starting out, I fell in love with cooking at seven. There was no celebrity chefs then. 
There was mm. no like, like there were like three. There was like the fugal, like in my in the eighties, there were like three. There was Julia Childs, there was right. the frugal chef, and I think there was someone else. But they were all on like the public access channel. Like there's no one that was modeling what was possible. So I grew up thinking I had to be a restaurateur if I wanted to be a chef. And so I immediately was like, I'm not going to do this because I don't want to work nights. I don't want to own a restaurant. And it wasn't until 9-11 happened. Now, before 9-11, I was pursuing an acting career and I was kind of getting involved with just my creative side in that sense. But I was also substitute teaching to to kind of help balance the acting jobs that were come and go. Wait, were you substitute teaching in early 2000s in New York City? Holy shit. Oh, okay. I was in LA. I was doing it. Oh, you were in LA. Okay. Got it. I was going to say, man, we could have been in the same school. (laughs) I know that would have been funny. I definitely did do, I did a lot of long-term subbing assignments. I mean, I was kind of shocked how easily they plugged me in. And I, sometimes I was like, what are you guys doing? Making me the teacher? Like, I'm like, I haven't really been trained. Like, yeah, I, I'm, I guess I would say I'm smart and I went through school and I graduated, but I don't feel like I'm qualified to be these students' long-term teachers. There were a couple of times because the school district was such a mess that I was, there was this one English class that I think I was their predominant teacher pretty much at the, almost the entire year. Like, I oh, think man. I was, I, I missed one month and I was like, I was treading water. I was like, what, what do I do? I don't, <laughs> I didn't have any training around how to. You it's know, hard. It. Yeah. Even if you have training, it's really hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I definitely got that sense. It was cool. I, I enjoy teaching. I do like that, but I did not like being a part of the LA Unified School District system. I think it's just a dragon. It's just a freaking mess, in my opinion. And so I was never truly, I never felt like I was truly following my passion. And 9 11 happened. For all intents and purposes, that was our Pearl Harbor, right? That was our generation's Pearl Harbor. And it really made me go like, okay, what matters? If I was on that plane, if I was in those towers and my life ended, would I feel like I had fulfilled my mission of why I'm here on this earth? And I, my answer was definitively no, like I was mm. not fully living my mission. And, I, and, and in many ways, I didn't even know what my mission was. Mm. So I was like, okay, I, I need to do basically an audit of my life. And I looked back. I really think when we're auditing our life, we can't just look at the last five years because as adults, we get so heady. We're kind of our own worst enemies. And I feel like if we ever want to tap to true essence, we have to go all the way back to when we were kids and really go to a simplified part of our lives where we were more pure and weren't overthinking things and weren't so influenced by outside sources. And I just started thinking about, well, what did I love as a kid? Like, how did I, what, what did I get lost in? And I was like, it was cooking. Like I loved it. And I was like, well, what can I do with that? That's not owning a restaurant. And I started doing some research and I found I was living in LA, as I mentioned, I was like, oh, wait, I could be a private chef. And that would be cool helping like individuals with their health and making their lives better. Like I started to get really excited about that idea. And so I just did research and I found a school in New York. It was a school that really specialized in fusing health with food, like really making sure that the food that you were preparing was prepared properly so that it was properly assimilated and could be properly absorbed, that was keeping it as nutrient dense as possible, supporting our bioindividuality, but really like putting all those kind of concepts into the food system, which really most schools were not doing at the time. And so I found this school. It was really expensive for me at the time. This is a career changing thing. I've got to really like go 
200% in. Like I can't go there and change gears or not take it seriously. Whereas a lot of kids were like a lot of kids who went to this corner school were coming just out of high school hmm. and they wouldn't show up some days. You could tell that they were in New York and they were wanting to enjoy the lifestyle. And I was like, I'm here to go to the school. I could care less about anything else. Mm -hmm. So I took it really seriously, dived in and the school took notice. And I like, I got perfect attendance. The school saw me as a very reliable, very capable of new challenges. And so after I graduated and they started getting calls for private chefs or for anything that was in the, on the West coast or in LA, they would refer me. So for the first two years, every job I got was because of that school. So it, oh, it was wow. Really how cool is that? Yeah, super, super cool. Like I would get calls out of the blue. I had no idea how these people got my info. And they were like, oh, yeah, we, the school referred you. And I was like, oh, OK, well, what, what's going on? It was a truly beautiful time in my life talking about mission, right? So I started to get really clear of like, I want to help people. Like I am here to help people with their health. Why food? Because food is my love link. Like cooking for people is how I express my love for humanity, mm. for them. And so I was really focused on that. And Amy, I got to tell you, like, this was the most incredible period of manifestation, if you believe in that. Like, oh, it of was... course I do. <laughs> yeah, okay. go ahead. Yeah, of course. It's dark transformation. It was so incredible. Like, I would literally think something. I'd be like, I want to cook for a band and travel around the US. I would just think it. And no joke, about a week later, I'd get a call and be like, hey, do you want to be the vegan vegetarian chef on the Vans Warp Tour? Or do you want to be a rep for Kashi Foods and travel the US and like do demos? I mean, it would just be like, it would absolutely kind of fit whatever I had put out there, maybe not to a T, but it was like really within the ballpark. And I was like, this is incredible. And so I got, I just, I was able to build an incredible resume and get these really great experiences. And I think it's because I truly aligned with what I was here to do. That's awesome. So what was it like to work with these celebrities? <laughs> yeah. It's funny, you know, the question I got asked at the time when I was cooking for Tom Cruise was like, what's he like? How tall is he? That's, that was the biggest question. It's like, how He's tall is he? Short, and I'm like, yeah. I'm like, I don't really think about it. Cause when you're standing in front of them, the only thing going through, at least my head was like, holy shit, I'm talking to Tom Cruise. <laughs> like, I'm not like looking at his height and judging him and value. I'm like literally just inside my body going like, I, I'm talking to Maverick. Like I grew up watching this guy on awesome. in everything. Like he, he completely influenced my childhood. I mean, the outsiders, I remember when I was a little boy, we had to rent VCRs. Some people may not know this or because they're too young, but like VCRs were not something that. you owned. So you had to rent them. and there were like only a handful of VHS movies that were popular at the time. So I remember there would be birthday parties. We would rent a VCR. That was the event of the birthday party was renting a VCR. Oh my gosh. And the movies that were popular around, around among us boys was like Rambo one. Oh, I remember that. First yeah. blood. And then the outsiders. I do. That was like, that, and yeah. then you'd rent it and you'd get it for like three to seven days or something. Like, so you just watch it over and over and over. Like, I feel like, We'd watch it like 50 times just because that was the one movie you had. And we loved it. I mean, we didn't get tired of it all. So it's mm. just like he, he's he been a part of my life since I was like 10 or 12. So, yeah, I was really kind of blown away that I was getting to work with him. And in terms of what it was like working with him, it was hard. It was a really hard work because he leads a very fast paced life. But he was very kind to me. He was it, it was a joy. Like he was a really good person to me. I don't know if everyone that works for him would say that. Like, I know sometimes like 
trainers, if, if, any trainer for any slavery, this is not, not a dig at all at Tom because, because this is true for anyone, but whenever anyone's working out, that's when a lot of their emotions come out, you know, their mm -hmm. aggressiveness can come out in the gym. And so I would talk to people that were trainers when I worked for other celebrities and they're like, Oh yeah, he, he yelled at me or did this or that, or, or she like was so upset at me for this. And I'm like, gosh, I never see any of this. Like, I'm like, no one is mean to their chef ever. <laughs> That's awesome. Ever. Because they're making your food. You don't want them to do anything to your food. <laughs> it's probably like a, an innate like a remembrance of like, totally. no, we don't mess with people who'd make our food. You don't mess with your chef. You just, you never do. And people that go to restaurants should remember that as well. Like you don't criticize or uh, mess with the kitchen because you don't want them messing with their food. And I'm not saying that I would ever do that, but there are people that will. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's <laughs> terrible. Okay. So uh, tell us about organ meats and why we need it. And by the way, I did taste the spicy blend that he has and I put it on my eggs. It was awesome actually. And I am somebody who can't usually eat that stuff. It just creeps me out. It's weird. And same thing with bone broth. I can't really do it, but your seasoning was great. It was very pleasant, actually enjoyable. So uh, tell you. us why we need organ meats. Yeah, well, I, I'll say too that you're speaking to exactly why I created Pluck, which is I really see Pluck seasoning as the gateway to getting organ meats into your diet. Because mm -hmm. I really, I as a chef for these last 17 years, I was thinking about this even just a few months ago. And I was like, if I were to boil down what truly will get someone to take health and make it a lifestyle, what would it be? What would be the characteristics of what has to fall into place for that to happen? And I identified that it's really two things. It's the food has to be easy and it's got to be delicious. It kind of boils down to just that when you think about it, like, cause if it's easy, if health is easy and delicious, you'll do it and you'll go on autopilot and you won't think about it. You'll be like, okay, no, this is a no brainer. Why would I choose the thing that's not healthy when the thing that is healthy is just as easy or even easier and it's delicious. You know what I mean? Like, I think we're all smart enough to know that the healthier choice is always going to be the better choice. We just needed to hit those two markers. So I'm glad that you're finding that to be the case of pluck. Cause that is, that's totally why I did it. But why organ meats? Well, they're the most concentrated source of virtually every important vitamin, mineral, amino acid, fat that we need. And just to give people an example, like compared to kale, for example, the same 100 gram portion of beef liver has over 17 times more phosphorus, over nine times more iron. In fact, like a side-by-side -side comparison between like blueberries, kale, red meat, beef liver is the only item that checks off every box of the measured nutrients of vitamins. So there's no zero amounts. And that's really important because we're all trying to optimize our health, right? And so we're looking for the most nutrient dense foods. And that's what I'm talking about is when, whenever you see foods compared and what nutrients are in them, what vitamins do they have? What minerals? If it's a good comparison, it will include beef liver and beef liver checks off every box. And as I gave in the example with kale, it's not just a little bit more. It's like 17 times more or mm -hmm. nine times more. That's crazy important when we think about getting our nutrients, because here's the reality. 92%. And this is a figure from, I think, 2015. So it's probably higher by now. 92% of Americans are nutrient deficient. Yeah. But we're not calorie deficient. No. 
Not at all. No, <laughs> we've got an overweight obesity epidemic. So it's like, that tells you that we are, it's not that we're not getting enough food, we're getting the wrong foods. And so we will all have to be rethinking what foods are we letting into our mouths? What foods are passing go? And for my money, organ meats are the most nutrient dense. They're vi the vitamins and minerals in them are set up in the way that mother nature intended. So meaning if it's a, a fat soluble vitamin, it's there with the fat. If it's a vitamin or mineral that needs another complementary vitamin or mineral to absorb the best in your body, it's in the organ meat. It's all mm -hmm. there. It's basically mother nature's multivitamin. Vitamin. Really? Yeah. I saw on your website, you have them all listed and the percentages. And I forgot that when you think of a spice that there might be protein, but you actually, yours has protein, which makes yeah. a lot of sense. Obviously it's coming from organ meats. So therefore it would be there, but it was quite high. I can't remember exactly. Was it seven? Yeah, grams? I think it is. I think it's around yeah. seven grams. Like for, that's for the whole pouch. Yep. What's key is when we're doing it as a seasoning, it's small amounts. It's micro dosing. So small amounts plus frequent use equals cumulative effect. So that's why we show what's in the whole pouch. Because if you're using a little bit each meal, each day, that it's going to accumulate. You're, you're already seasoning your food. So the question is, is what's in the seasoning you're currently using? Well, it's probably some kind of like additive. It's probably some kind of artificial flavoring or natural flavoring that's not good for you. It's got probably sweeteners. It's got a lot of salt. It's got things that you're that are not helping you, not mm -hmm. moving your health meter, right? This is not requiring you to do any new habit. It's the same. We already season our food. I'm just saying season it with pluck. You're going to get better taste. It's going to make it even more delicious, but now you're getting those micronutrients and just do it often and it will absolutely build up. And now you're going to be hopefully moving the needle towards your health and getting better nutrition. And I find personally, like I always say to people like, look, I believe organ meats can save the world. And here's why. When we don't feel good in our body, we don't treat other people well. We treat people how we feel. That's kind of the human way. So if I can get you feeling better in your body, which usually it's a nutrient deficiency, it's usually around your minerals and vitamins. There's other things, of course, there's gut health, there's so many things, so how much sleep you're getting, but the chemistry in your body is huge. Like it really does affect your emotional levels, mm -hmm. how you're feeling, how you're reacting. And so if I can support that, then I get you feeling better in your body and then I get you treating other people better. And now we have a whole different world. Definitely. Nutritional deficiencies are a huge problem. And this is definitely something that can fill in the gap there very easily. So I have a couple of questions for you. One, who was your favorite celebrity that you worked for? Just to get that out of the way, because I just have to ask you. <laughs> I There were so many that I like. So I cooked one of my first ones was Mariska Hargitay. Uh, what is that show called? It was like a New York CSV or something like that. She was on it for like 25, 26 years. I think she still is on it. Oh, wow. Um, so it's I don't those... ever watch any of those scary shows. So I don't okay, know. Her. <laughs> yeah. So I'm sure a lot of people listening watch it because it's been around for so long. But so she was on that. She was one of my first celebrity jobs. And I really liked her a lot. Just her and her husband, Peter, were just so kind and so nice. And I got to meet their whole family and extended family and everything. And so that was just a really cool first experience. But I would have to say really liked cooking for Gerard Butler. He was just a really nice guy. And, and I don't know, I've, it felt very personable with him. Like I, I felt like it was just so easy. And I felt like I had a lot of access to him in terms of like just getting to kind of talk and learn about him and how I could help him the best. You know what I mean? Tom was also great, but 
Tom has so many other people involved in his life that sometimes it was hard to just talk to him and say, what do you need? How can I best serve you? Whereas I would always hear it like third hand, like, oh, mm-hmm. Tom likes this. And then, and it was funny, like sometimes I would be told like, oh, he likes this. And I would just straight up ask him and I'd be like, well, do you like this? And he'd be like, no, actually I don't. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, <laughs> people think you do. So let's figure out what you actually like and let me, let, right. let's do that. You know? Yeah. So sometimes it, it just varied, but I loved it when I had the one-on-one with clients that that's really what got me high is because I was there to help and I could help the best when I had that one-on-one and actually even to share like with Sean Combs, he did, he like, I, that was a short job because I came in for a very specific reason, but it was kind of cool. And that I was like, man, I was there like 10, 12 hours a day. And like, he and I had great discussions and like, he wanted me to be his permanent chef. Like I just couldn't do it because I had other things going on. And I had come in for a very specific couple of weeks to help him with some goals, but I just felt his respect. Like he, he was really like, here he is a billionaire. And he's just like, he recognized like, Hey, you're an expert here. I want, I'm going to, I'm going to listen to what you say. Like, I think he was just, he's just a smart guy. You know know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like I loved it when people would let go of their preconceived notions of what they thought was healthy and just would trust me. But really, when that trust came, it was because of how I showed up. You know, I mean, I'm not like saying they should just blanketly trust me. You can't trust every health practitioner with or every chef or whatever, because they don't always know what they're talking about. But I think I showed up with that knowledge, I showed up with that grounding. And that's how I wanted to help them. And so when they did feel that they could trust me, that's where I kind of locked in. I was like, okay, now we can do some real work. Cool. So my next question is, what's one thing we could do other than adding pluck to our food to make it much better? So a couple of little things. A lot of times when I hear people say, I hate it, I hate this. Like you hear that a lot with Brussels sprouts. I hate Brussels sprouts. So hate is a very strong word, first of all. So whenever you have high emotions around something, it's usually connected to your childhood. It's usually connected to who was cooking it and or how they were cooking it. And so I always say, well, that's the first question I ask people who are like, okay, how can I make this better? Or how can I make myself eat this? And I first I say, well, how was it prepared when you're a kid? And if let's just say it was boiled, and it was mushy, I'd say, okay, then let's do the exact opposite. Let's roast it and make it crispy. So one thing is, I would think about how you're preparing the food that's making it less desirable. And so when you can roast something or bake it in the oven for a while, you're bringing out you're bringing out the natural sugar, so it's going to naturally make it sweeter. So that's one thing. Mm, is you can, that's why you, vegetables are so much better when you like roast them in the oven. Yep, they are because they it brings out the natural. Every vegetable has some sweetener, sugar in it, natural sugars. It has natural sodium. It has these things found in nature. And so the way you cook it is going to bring out certain things and boiling it is the way that it will definitely not bring it out. (laughs) Boiling boiling it just kind of completely removes a lot of the flavor too. So that's one thing. And then lemon zest, lemon juice, lemon zest are huge movers of flavor. Like you'd be surprised. Like that's really what distinguishes a chef sometimes from a cook is that we know how to get ourselves out of corners. We know how when something is flat, how to brighten it. We know how, if it's bitter, how to get it sweeter. And we know how to do that without just adding sugar or more salt. Like we, we know how to finesse food. Lemon zest is a really nice little tip. Like, honestly, you can zest just a tiny, but put a little bit of zest over almost anything and it's going to brighten it and it's going to bring out the flavors better. Okay. 
I love it. I love that was a great answer. I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> so how did you go from people's personal chefs and you're doing your thing to like, I need to make my own seasoning that has organ meats in it? Like what day was that? Like, how did you come to that understanding? What did somebody approach you and say like, Hey, I have an idea. Or was this all your idea? It was all my idea. I had known about organ meats since culinary school, but I still wasn't incorporating them. I mean, I'm no different than everyone yeah, else. Probably listening. <laughs> yeah. Like I didn't grow up eating them. I definitely was deterred from them. I, I just kind of saw them as icky and I was like, okay, I know that I'm supposed to be eating them, but I, I don't know. I'd rather get this stuff somewhere else. But I think I eventually realized, well, you can't get this stuff from everywhere else. Like, mm -hmm. or if you can, it's really hard. And produce in the US is less nutritious than it was in the 1960s. They've been measuring it every yep. year. They measure it. And decade by decade, you can see the decline in the nutrition of all the produce we create here in the US. So it's a huge issue. They've been tracking it since I think the late 50s. So we're now in 2020. You know, that's 60 years later, some odd six years later. So you have to assume like, it's just not very nutrient dense anymore. So we really have to seek out these more nutrient dense foods. And for my money, I'm going to get that from whole food. I don't want to get it synthetically. Right. I don't want to be always taking capsules and supplements. So I'm looking for whole foods that are very nutrient dense. I knew that was organ meats, but then I identified, okay, well, what, what are the hurdles? Well, it's the ick taste that we're obviously both articulating here. It's the knowledge the factor of, how, of yeah, like the actual meats being in your refrigerator or wherever and having, yeah, the ick, I was going to say the ick factor of the, well, there's the ick factor of taste, but then there's also the ick factor of just touching it. Like you said mm -hmm. earlier, like handling it, which I kind of push into the culinary field, our knowledge and our acceptance of working with it cooking wise is kind of not there anymore. <laughs> we, we've lost that knowledge and then sourcing it. Those are kind of the right, three right. pain points. It was having, yeah, can kids. you even like go to the grocery store? Like you'd have to go to a butcher and get that if you wanted it. Right. No, nowadays you, you can go to some, it just depends. Like the Mexican culture uses a lot of different organs. They have tongue, they have tripe, which is the stomach of the cow. That's in menudo. That's in a cultural dish. So there, there, there are some more ethnic markets that you can get stuff in. It's probably not going to be 100% grass fed, though, if you're right. getting it there. Whole foods sometimes have chicken livers and chicken hearts, things like that. You can go online and find it on U.S. Wellness Meats and other purveyors that have organ meats listed. Uh, yeah, I go to the farmer's markets and I talk to the farmers, but Awful, which is another name for organ meat, <laughs> which is what, such what? a great name. Did you, you never heard of that? Awful. No. It's O-F-A-L, awful. Oh. That name, they think that name came from my research. When, when you're butchering an animal and you cut it open, they think it's the parts of the animal that fall off. That's where they think awful came from. Oh. The name at least. But yeah, actually, maybe this would be helpful. Like what is organ meats? What is awful? Because a lot of people just think it's the liver or it's the kidney or the heart, but it's so much more than that. It's basically every part of the animal except the bone and the muscle meat. So that would include all the things like liver, heart, kidney, spleens, lungs, testicles, ovaries, brain. It would also include, like if you've ever been to a restaurant and seen sweetbreads on the menu, yeah, yeah, it's at fine restaurants. That's the thymus and pancreas. That's what they call those. Hmm. Sometimes the product. So is product the pan pancreas plant. sweet? Because it does process sugar. That's the thing with organs is they're more a filter than they are a sponge. They're really turning these toxic elements into water-soluble forms. So then that way those toxins can leave your body. That's really their primary job. But yes, I think the the 
thymus and the pancreas in general are both a little sweeter and that's why they call them sweet breads, but they're not bread like at all. I mean, there's, that's kind of where the name ends. I, I, okay. I, I'm not really sure why they're called sweet breads. I tried to research it, but no one had a really a good answer. So it's a misnomer, really? <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know because they're not that sweet and it's also not a not bread, bread, but maybe it's the <laughs> shape that makes people think of a loaf of bread. I don't know. Yeah. But the blood would be considered awful, bone mm. marrow, the stomach lining, as I mentioned, is tripe. The okay, feet. I think we're good. We're good. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's here. You're, you're, this is cool, though. So the intestines are also something that people eat. It's actually, it's one of the U.S. organ meat foods that's kind of built into the culture. And it's called chitlins. It's in the South. And that's usually includes the pig intestine. So that was kind of cool to learn because that's one thing is here in the U.S., we don't eat our organ meats. And I'm just like, well, every other country's got it built into their national food from mm. Mexico with menudo. It's got haggis, which is like the sheep and calf heart, liver, lungs mixed in suet, which is the fat, and then oatmeal and seasonings. And they boil it in the stomach. And it's national food and people love it there. There's blood sausage and blood or blood pudding in Ireland. Ireland, where they make sausage with the blood. That's also love, but it's a beloved food in Ireland. Steak and kidney pie in the UK. I remember when I was in the UK, I so thought- nauseous. I know, right? When I was in the UK, I'm like steak and kidney pie. I thought it was kidney beans that they were oh, putting in. Oh, no. You know, that was my American, my lack of knowledge. So when I first ate steak and kidney pie, I'm like, oh no, this is not <laughs> kidney beans. <laughs> I can taste its kidney. So they have that. France has the pate. So I just, I love learning how organ meats are part of every other country, but really here in the US, we're just really, they've fallen off. And I think mm -hmm. it's a testament that also what's fallen off is our health. I tend to kind of think that they're connected. If we were eating more nose to tail, that we, our health would actually be better. I really do believe that. I don't think we were designed to eat as much muscle meat as we are. I have a question for you about the organs because they are filters for the body like is there any danger in eating them in terms of like added toxins or anything like that well i think anytime you're eating i mean let's face it we're in a we're in a day and age where toxins are in everything i mean mm -hmm. i think the pfa pfas right now are like the big topic which are basically microplastics yeah. right that's the huge topic that everyone's talking about i'm just like look they're in everything it's like glyphosate too glyphosate's mm -hmm. in everything so we can try to pinpoint it and say, oh, it's only in this, but it's not true. I mean, they're finding glyphosate in hummus. They're finding PFAs in more than just animal blood and animal products. They're finding it in the water, in fish. They're finding it in produce. I mean, it's in our bodies. Like it's in the air. I mean, like you can't, you kind of can't escape it. But specifically organs are, like I said, they're more of a filter. If the animal or the human is healthy, that what the organs are doing are really helping to get the toxins, the byproducts out of the body. So that's why you want to make sure your elimination pathways are working, your sweat glands, you're peeing properly, you're pooping regularly. Like you, you want to make sure that your body is working properly to get the toxins out. And the same thing is, and this is why we talk about quality and why we started this whole thing out talking about New Zealand quality. It's because you want the animals to be healthy. A sick animal, yeah, they're not going to be right. detoxifying very well. Those right. toxins are going to then store in their body. Now, the toxins do typically store in the fat, not in the organs. But of course, there's things like fatty liver disease. There, of course, if you're an unhealthy human or animal, you're going to get fat buildup around, let's say, the kidney or the liver, right? And then those toxins will be in that fat. So it'll be right there. 
either way, I think you do have to consider the health of the animal. And that's why we get it from 100% grass-fed, from non-GMO, from no added hormones. We want it from animals that are not being pumped full of antibiotics to make them fat. Conventional animals, particularly cows, they're fed sludge. And just like that word kind of connotates, yeah, the face, yeah. You know, the way your face just went. It's like, <laughs> what is sludge? It's like byproducts from other industry, like the candy industry. They feed them that. They, they feed them like other animals, like pets, you know, like. Uh, oh, God. Okay. That we'll leave it at that. The, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm talking like, 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 like <laughs> basically dead horrible. animals, other things, but things that the cows, if they ever had the choice, would never eat. They would right. never eat that way. I remember hearing about them giving soy to cows to make them fat. And then yeah. they're eventually their stomach just explodes, which is disgusting. There is talk that if the animal is allowed to live much longer on the diet that conventional industry is feeding them, that they wouldn't be able to survive that. Yeah. And that, that, that there, there is talk that, that I don't lot. know. Yeah. I don't know how accurate that is, but I, you got to imagine it's probably somewhere around there. I know that's true within the, the poultry industry. I mean, like a lot of the death that happens to chickens is because they're, they basically grow them. I think it's, they get to full size within I think it's seven weeks. And so they go from a chick to a full-size bird, the bird that you find, the size that you find in the store in seven weeks. And for that to actually naturally happen, they have to do a lot of unnatural things to the bird. They have to have a specific type of breed. They're feeding them a very specific type of diet. And what happens is that bird grows so fast that their little, their insides are still catching. They're not adult-like yet, right? So they're still the infant inside. So what happens is they have heart attacks or they die because their insides haven't caught up to the size. Like basically if they were a human baby, they would be like a 3000 pound baby. That's basically like what a chicken is kind of similar in equivalent in terms of their size to their age. And so they can't, their, their insides can't keep up with the size. So you hear that a lot in the chicken industry is like, Oh, I don't know what the percentage is, but let's just say it's like 25%, 30% died just from the lifestyle. Wow. Yeah. We get our meat from butcher box. I'm hoping to avoid a lot of that. I mean, honestly, like, yeah, the chicken industry is a bit challenging, but it's controlled by like seven companies and they control something like 98% of the poultry in the world. So it's, it's a, what do you call it? Conglomerate. It's a mafia in a sense, a poultry mafia. But I think, yeah, to your point, like if you're going to put your money anywhere, it's for me, I would put it towards animal-based products you got to make sure they're, they're quality uh, if you can. But I still get this question sometimes is like, okay, you know how for a long time fish was something people were avoiding because of the mercury in the fish. See, I come from the place of like, look, I personally think that the nutrients in fish, the nutrients in organ meats are so important for us that I would choose the nutrients before I chose to not eat it, if that makes sense. So I'm like one of those people like, look, if you find organ meat, if you can't afford to buy the 100% grass-fed organ meats from wherever your local place is, and you need to go to that ethnic market that's not getting the 100% grass-fed, but it has it more affordable, then I personally would say get it from there. I think it's more important to eat them than to not eat them. Mm -hmm. Same thing with fish. I think fish is very important to eat every part of the fish. And so you just, you still keep eating fish, even though you're concerned about mercury, but you just don't eat huge fish, you eat smaller fish, you try to offset it, you try to make sure that your elimination pathways that your body's working well, 
to get these toxins out, but you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater personally. Now, if, if someone had said like, oh, well, the bad stuff's in sugar, I'm like, oh yeah, cut, cut out the stuff you can cut out. I'm not telling you to hold on to everything. I'm just saying like fish, organ meats, those two are non-negotiables for me. I think they're so important. We should all have them in our diets no matter what. Wow. Personally. I haven't heard that about fish. I also don't eat that much fish, mostly because I live in Colorado. And so any fish that we're getting here was coming from far away. Sole is actually the only fish that I like that tastes like chicken. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty mild. Yeah. Yeah, you you have the kind of palate that I think most, uh, many Americans have, which is like, you're looking for a mild taste from the foods that are a little bit more unfamiliar to you. You don't want yeah. them to be too strong tasting. Yeah, I, that's how I was raised as well. That's kind of what's cool is that I love talking about palate actually, because palate is a very fascinating thing. So we, the palate is formed when you're in utero, like, so when you're in your, your mother's belly inside their body, your palate is being formed by what they're eating. So if your parent is eating tons of hostess Twinkies, you know what I mean? Like you're going to have a sweeter palate. You're going to, you're going to want kind of that sweeter taste. And we have the four established tastes, which are the sweet, salty, bitter, sour, but there was a fifth one that was discovered, I think in the early nineties and it's mm. called umami. Oh, it's discovered in yeah. Japan. And umami is kind of, I would describe it as savory, but umami is cool because it's unique. So it's like not going to be just salty or whatever. It's it, What it does is when you get it, it actually brightens the other flavors. So it makes food taste better. And umami is in organ meats and it's also mushrooms. It's in muscle meat. It's in a bunch of tomatoes have umami. There's a lot of foods that have umami. But I find that when we start to introduce these flavors, like I look at the palate as music or color. I look at it as both. So let's just say if you're looking at your palate, what do you think you fall into the most? My guess is probably sweet and salty, right? Oh, salt for sure. I used to be sugar, not as much anymore. Yeah. But that's kind of like where Americans fall into where our palate colors are, our notes is sweet and salty. So the way that I would start to support someone to get more adventurous with their eating is I would then focus on those other three tastes that you're not getting as much of the bitter, sour. So maybe like cultured products, cultured vegetables, pickles, things like that. There's so many different options. Even like kefir is a bit more sour than yogurt, mm -hmm. for example. I would start to experiment with those. And then like I would get more umami flavors in and like pluck. Someone came up to me at a conference I was recently at. And so they're a practitioner and they're working with a mother, a family. So there's a kid who is, I think, slightly spectrum, who is a very picky eater. And the practitioner told the mom, just do one thing right now with the kid, just start putting pluck on all their food. And so the mom did that. And she, that's all she's changed is just putting pluck on everything the kid eats. And what's cool about pluck is it's just a seasoning. So the kid doesn't even yeah. need, need, really need to know what's in it. Like, I mm -hmm. don't think the mom told the kid, this is organic. Right. They just right. said, here's a seasoning. Try it. The kid liked it. And they said, okay, let's put it on everything. Well, the practitioner told me that now the kid is actually experimenting with new foods because the palate is changing. The right. palate is now getting used to this umami flavor. And it's now she, this child is in essence becoming more adventurous. Right. And so you can change the palate. I mean, it's kind of amazing. Like my wife, who's a nutritionist and I, we used to do this thing called the sugar control detox. And we used to pull anything that was sweet, anything that was sugar, anything that was converted quickly into your body. 
all anything sweet like spiked your blood sugar we pulled out of their diets for two weeks and in two weeks the people's palate would change they would go from like drinking three glasses of wine a night to then barely being able to have a glass like a half a glass like they they all said that the things that they used to eat all the time that they thought were sort of sweet were overly sweet now and the foods that they would eat that used to never taste sweet they can now taste the sweetness in the fruit for example in the strawberries mm-hmm. in the things that they never were tasting before so you really can change your palate very quickly. You just have to mess around with those five flavors. You got to create contrast. I've heard that if you uh, kid zinc, that will help to change their palate as well. If they're really picky eaters, they're usually deficient in zinc. And zinc, so yeah, you're right. My son, thankfully, is he, I ate a lot of vegetables in, in when he was in utero and his number one favorite thing to eat pretty much other than chicken fingers <laughs> is broccoli because mm-hmm. I was obsessed with eating broccoli and hummus and he ate a lot of hummus as well. I have a question for you. When you talk to people, cause I actually, Betsy Greenleaf said that she puts, I think the spicy one on popcorn or was it the garlic one? I don't remember. I don't know. I, yeah. You could use any of them, but yes, popcorn. It's yeah. so delicious on popcorn. What else have you heard people using it on or what do you use it on? Like what's your favorite thing to make with it? I really stress to people, like when I say this, I'm not joking. Like I'm not just trying to sell a product, but my family. So I have two girls, six and 10. I have a partner, my wife and I myself. So there's four of us. We put it on everything. We literally put it on everything. We like no joke. My kids want it all the time. They love it. So just as an example, like my kids have toast. They put it on the toast. If we have popcorn, we put it on the pot. We, I just made popcorn yesterday for a movie night kind of thing because the kids were off from school today and put a uh, zesty garlic on it. And it was so delicious that we put it on eggs. We put it on fish. We, I tried it on oysters once just to see if it would taste good. And it was delicious. We have the holidays coming up and like, let's just say you have a like a cheese platter, or a, you know, like a charcuterie platter and there's cheese and meat stuff. You can sprinkle it over the cheese and it will make the cheese taste even better. Like you, you can really hummus, you could put it over a hummus. I sprinkle it on salads. Basically, like anything you can salt and pepper, you can pluck. Like, okay. And we joke, we joke to people and we say like, oh, well, it's good on everything but ice cream. But then we had a customer say, actually, I tried it on ice cream and it was really good. So <laughs> you kind of can't go wrong because all it's doing, just think of it like salt. Like, so it's just adding mm-hmm. that saltiness and that umami to whatever you're adding it to. People love kettle corn. They love the sweet and saltiness of kettle corn. And that's kind of what you're playing with when you add pluck is you're adding a savoriness to whatever it is you're giving. So that could mean like if it's something sweet, you're adding a saltiness to it. If it's something salty, you're adding an umami to it. You're just adding another layer and flavor. And what's kind of cool, because, you know, when I created it, I didn't know all the foods it was good for. I just did it because I I wanted to get that nutrition into my kids and I wanted to get it into them easily. Like as mm-hmm. a parent, like I, don't, I, I look for things that make my life easier, not harder. And I didn't want to deal with picky eating. I didn't want to deal with, you know, when someone makes pate or liver and onions, like they're cooking in their kitchen for a while. And then if you serve that and your kids don't eat it, or if it's now like a chore to get them to eat it, it's like, your job just never ends. You know what I mean? And and I didn't want to do that. Like I wanted to make it so it was effortless, easy, and I wanted to make sure it was delicious. And so I was just trying to get organ meats into my kids, into my own diet. I did not know all the foods it was going to be good at. So we get feedback from clients or customers and they tell us, and I'm like, oh, that's cool. I got feedback from many customers at this point that said, 
It was the only thing they changed in the recipe that they made. And it's a recipe they commonly make for their household every other week or something. This one woman I'm thinking of made stuffed peppers. And she said it was always their go-to recipe in their family. It was easy. All the, Everyone ate it. They liked it. So the one thing she did differently was she just added pluck to that recipe. She said that night, her family freaked out. They were like, mm. I want seconds. Like, mm. what did you do? It tastes so good. And I'm like, yeah, that's the umami. Like, umami makes food taste better. So it's a win. James, you've been a wealth of knowledge and I enjoyed talking to you. I'm curious, do you have a geographic tongue? <laughs> do you know what that is? No. I'm okay. assuming it's like where you can identify all the different flavors or no? What, yeah. What like, so there's people, I know somebody who has a geographic tongue and you can make a lot of money actually because if you have a geographic tongue, it just means that you can taste like all the flavors really well. And like, yeah, almost like a sommelier or something. Like yeah, that. exactly. Yeah. So I was just curious because you are into the flavors so much, but that's also being a I, chef. Yeah. And I wasn't raised with all of these flavors. So I just, I'm still learning myself, but you know, who's got an amazing flavor palette is my oldest daughter. And I think it's because she's been introduced since in utero with all these different flavors. My mm -hmm. wife ate, ate so much cultured vegetables when she was pregnant with her and she's got an amazing palate. I go to her actually, if, if people need, they want to know. So her name is Sia. Every pluck product is Sia approved every recipe that I'm making with when I'm developing the products, I take the ones that I and I bring them to her. And if she gives me her approval, I know I'm on the right track. That's yeah. cute. I mean, it's important. I'm always shocked at what my son eats because he's been exposed to it as well. Like, whereas I wasn't really exposed to it. And I think that I had a lot of food allergies and deficiencies when I was younger. So I was very picky. He likes apple cider vinegar. <laughs> like, I oh, was wow. like, yeah, a little bit of honey and hot water and cinnamon. And he's like, that's my favorite. Like, I love it. I'm like, I can't even. But so that's the bitter. So he's tapped into like that bitter. Yeah. He loves green juices. He loves beet juice. Like when he was little, he would have some of my beet juice. I didn't let him have too much because it's not great to have a lot of that because it can mess with your blood pressure and things like that. It really does matter what you eat when the kid is in utero and what is given to them. And it changes. <laughs> like He hated eggs for a while, liked them, now hates them again. Like I'm like, I don't, whatever, we'll try yeah, to figure can't it keep out. Up. Totally. I know adults that are picky eaters. So really, if it's like you as an adult or a child have a limited palate, don't accept it. Like, like palates can change and they can change quickly. So our human body is amazing. It will adapt to what you give it. So mm -hmm. just be open and be adventurous and be willing to bring new things. And the best thing with a kid is just involve them as much as possible. Like, like a lot of times parents will almost present it like they're pulling a rabbit out of a hat. Like it's this magic trick of like, oh, look, today we're having liver and onions. And the kid's like, but what is that? Where did it come from? How did it taste before you cook it? Like they're scared because they need the control. They mm -hmm. need to understand they need to manage their expectations of it before you serve it. So I'm like, don't wait to serve it to them. Like get them involved from the planning stage. Like, Hey, let's meal plan this week. Hey, what if we try something different this week? Like we usually eat chicken. Let's try fish this time. And let's, 
what kind of fish would you want? Let's find a recipe that would be really fun. Like, hey, you like apple cider vinegar. So let's find a balsamic vinegar fish recipe or, you know what I mean? Whatever it is, like tap into the things that they do like, but really include them in from the very get-go. Oh, now let's go grocery shopping. Oh, hey, look at how beautiful these red peppers are. Like, should we get mm. one of these and add this? Let's see what it tastes like when it's raw. Let's see what it tastes like when it's cooked. Mm-hmm. Let's see what it tastes like when you dip it into ranch dressing. Let them taste it and experience it at every stage. And you'll start to see that they'll eat it, Mm -hmm. particularly if they helped cook it. They'll be like, oh, yeah, I helped tonight's dinner. They're not going to not eat it. Last night, I swapped out the pasta for my son with cassava flour pasta. (laughs) It did not go well. Yeah, he's pretty good with the gluten-free pasta that I have. That's comes from Italy. But is that was, corn and rice or something? That one? It definitely is a brown rice or a, a rice in there. I can't remember which one. It might have corn too. Yeah, a lot of the Italian ones have corn typically. But yeah, I'm mostly grain-free, definitely gluten-free. And so I was like, you know what? I don't feel like making another pasta. So I'm like, I tried to pass it off. It did not go well. And yeah, he's it was, like, what, what was the texture? It was like probably really soft, uh, soft yeah. and like kind yeah, of spongy, soft. right? Yeah. yeah. And he. he he noticed it. I was like, listen, I won't do it again. <laughs> I just wanted to see if you would eat it. So he ate as much as he could. And he's picky like that. If he does not like something, he will not eat it. He'd rather go hungry. And that how old is, is he? He's eight. Yeah. My daughter is 10. And she just started getting like that from eight to 10. I feel like they, they start to puff up their chest a little bit. Say like, this is what I want. You know, <laughs> you can't change me. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, I know. I just kind of keep I'm like, oh, I'll wear you down. I slipped in the gluten free pasta for regular pasta. And he I he sort of noticed. But then I was like, it's good. And he's like, yeah, it's not bad. So then he got used to that. So you just got to wear them you down. might try the lentil pasta. The gluten-free pasta is because we're gluten-free as well. You want to find a similar texture to the rice pasta because the rice pasta is firm. Even if you overcook it, it's still fairly firm. And every other gluten-free pasta, though, that's not rice or corn gets softer the more you cooked it. So one is you want to kind of undercook it a little bit, particularly Kosovo stuff. But secondly, try the lentil stuff and also make sure you do not overcook it, like almost undercook it and it will still be nice and firm. And then, of course, with all pastas or anything like really any vegetable, any food, you want to make sure the sauce really hits their taps, their flavor profile. If you want to make a kid eat anything, just tap that flavor. Like if they like creamy, then cover it in cheese. If they like spicy, cover it in a nice spicy sauce. Like you cover it in whatever it is that they are attracted to or what their flavor profile is. And then they'll eat it up. Definitely. As long as it's not mushy. Yeah, he definitely would prefer probably more sugar in there in the sauce. I know Well, you know, here's a tip. So you don't have to necessarily always add sugar. So what you can do is kind of taking that, what we talked about earlier about bringing out the natural sugars of something. So for example, like onions. Onions, if you slow cook them, for a while, they it will bring out the natural sugar. So you'll take an onion that starts out kind of savory and you'll make it extremely sweet the longer you cook it. Caramelize okay, it. Okay, cool. And so right. what you can do with your spaghetti sauce is you can caramelize the onions and then blend them into the sauce. And it's going to make it not only a little fl- more flavorful, but it will make it sweet. And you won't have added any other sugars. You're just using right. the sugar that's in the vegetable. Awesome. That's good to know. Yeah, I do that all the time. James, can you tell everybody where they can find out more about you? Yeah. So the product for Pluck, you go to eatpluck.com. That's E-A-T-P-L-U-C-K. 
And then you can find us on social media at Eat Pluck on Facebook, Instagram, all those, Pinterest. And then if you want to find more about me personally, you can go to at Chef James Barry. That's Barry with an A, B A R R Y. Please, uh, when you buy Pluck, if you use it, tag us. As I mentioned here, we I love learning how people use it. I sometimes feel like Pluck is my third child. And so I love <laughs> seeing you know, pictures of you, your kid. <laughs> yeah, like send fit photos of how where my kid goes and travels. That's um, so funny. It's like Flat Stanley, but it's your <laughs> Yeah, totally. It's like totally Flat Stanley. I'm still learning how people are affected by it. And I'm getting such amazing feedback, but I really do love hearing that feedback, good or bad. I, I like hearing all of it. So pl- please reach out if you do use it. Sure. Yeah, I will. And I left a review about the dogs loving it because that was awesome right away. They just were obsessed with it. And then every time that I pulled it out, they know that I'm about to put that on their food. So we have four products. So there's three of them that have flavors. There's the all-purpose, there's the spicy, there's the zesty garlic. Those have spices and herbs and salt. The one that you're using for your animals is called Pure, and you said that earlier, but that one has no salt, no spices, no herbs. It's just the organ meats, and it's five organs. It's liver, heart, kidney, spleen, and pancreas, and that's why it's good for your pets as well because you don't want to give pets like paprika and salt, you know, no, all that no. stuff. And I, you know what's interesting is I think that their energy is calmer. Like uh, some of my dogs err on the side of more anxiety because we have a toy poodle that'll just go nuts. And then the, one's a half poodle. And then the other one is just dumb. Does what the others do. I think though, it, I did just sense a settledness within them. So I, I wonder if it's just that the nutritional deficiencies were causing a little bit of that in them. I, wow. I, that's really cool to hear. I totally believe that. I mean, you think about it, like a lot of people, B vitamins do support anxiety. There's so many B vitamins in organ meat. You know, it's something we didn't even talk about, but like, like there's also the idea of like, like supports like, which is if you have liver issues, then you should be eating liver, heart issues, you should be eating heart. It's like that Mm. organ that you're eating is going to support your own organ because of the nutrient sufficiency in the organ is supplying those nutrients to your organs. I'm a big believer in like, let's get people eating nose to tail as much as possible. My hope is to get you eating it, but making it easy and delicious so that you do it. Because uh, Mm -hmm. I know that when health is easy and delicious, I can get you to to do it. James, thank you so much for being on the show. This was really informative and very interesting. And I'm glad that we have this option. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's been truly a pleasure. If you love today's podcast, you're going to love the UR Energy course. I'm going to drop the link below so you can pick up that course. I go much more in depth about the science behind healing and I share the tools and techniques that I use every single day to help my body heal. Content provided by Amy Stark and or her guests on the Stark Transformation Show website or other platforms, including text, images, audio, or other formats, are created for informational purposes only. Always seek the advice of a physician or qualified health provider with any questions you have regarding a medical condition. Amy Stark is not a doctor or a therapist.